Well, if you don't know me, I'm Jonathan Jones. Uh, I have the privilege of, uh, of serving as one of the elders here at Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church, and it's a joy to be with you. It's special thanks to Pastor Mike for giving me the privilege this morning of sharing this Vanity Fair section of the Pilgrim's Progress. Pastor Mike was looking forward very much to teaching this section himself, but he'll be preaching later on this morning, and so the schedule uh, didn't allow him to share this section of Pilgrim's Progress with you. We pray that you are reading and enjoying John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress as God has used this allegory since 1678, almost 350 years. Just think about that. Think about 350 years. In the birth of our nation, there was still the 13 original colonies. Um, North Carolina was just being formed. 350 years ago, God has used this work of John Bunyan's. We'll see this morning that while Bunyan's dream of this allegory is three and a half centuries old, it's extremely relevant to today. In fact, I think you'll be shocked. By way of review, last Sunday, Pastor er, Carlos Price shared from section 65 through 72 and focused on the reality that in our Christian journey, we'll come across people who claim to know Christ, claim to walk with Christ, but because... Um, but they are far from having a genuine relationship with him because their life just doesn't have the fruit or just doesn't show it. By way of a preview this morning, as I said, we'll be looking at sections 73 through 80 with a special focus on Vanity Fair. What Vanity Fair is, why Christian and faithful were so out of place in Vanity Fair. We'll talk about their persecution. We'll talk about faithful's trial his defense, his condemnation, and ultimately his death. Let me quote from Bunyan's description of Vanity Fair from the book. Then I saw in my dream that when they were out of the wilderness, now they would be Christian and faithful. When they were out of the wilderness, they presently saw a town before them, and the name of that town is Vanity And at the town, there is a fair called Vanity Fair. It is kept all year long. It bears the name of Vanity Fair because the town where it is kept is lighter than vanity. And also because all that is sold or that comes there is vanity. As is the saying of the wise, all that comes is vanity. That's John Bunyan's description of Vanity Fair. Bunyan goes on to share the history of Vanity Fair and that it was created by Satan's demons and his companions, perceiving that pilgrims like you and I on our way to the celestial city, which is heaven or the new Jerusalem, must pass through Vanity Fair. The fair was year-round and featured all kinds of vanity for sale, And note these, we'll talk about these in a second, but note all the things that were for sale in Vanity Fair, houses, lands, trades, places, honors, preferments, titles, countries, kingdoms, 
lusts, pleasures, and delights of all sorts as whores, bods, wives, hmm, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and whatnot. And moreover, at the fair, there is at all times to be seen juggling cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, and rogues, and that of every kind. Interesting, isn't it? The town of vanity dresses up the sin and immorality of the world to appear alluring and desirable. It is enticing to the eye, but in the end, it is empty. It is empty. This section of Pilgrim's Progress is deeply personal and relates to you and I directly. Please, brothers and sisters, take this very personally. This is about you. This is about me. This is about what we are doing with the world as we live in the world. This is about our love for Christ, our love for him, our love for his word, and, his lo- and our love for his church. You and I as lovers of Christ are on our way to the celestial city and we must deal with Vanity Fair all the time. I want you to think about your own life and heart. What attractions in Vanity Fair are you distracted by or are you idolizing? I know you noticed that there were good things for sale in Vanity Fair, like houses, land, honors, husbands, wives, and children. But even good gifts like media, apps, wealth, health, and anything else that we can make into idols and cause us to take our eyes off Christ become vanity. I think about my own life. I think about my college degrees. I think about my certificates. I think about the accolades in my life. I'm 65 years old. You know where all those degrees are today? They're stacked in a box in the garage. Because those things are important, very important. I've enjoyed those things, but they are all vanity in the end. What's critical and so essential is knowing Christ, loving Christ, and walking and worshiping him. Vanity represents the pride, arrogance, and conceit of the world. It's a description of the world without Christ. It is life without the hope of the gospel, which is meaningless, futile, and pointless in the end. The description comes from the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes, what chapter? Chapter 1, the first 14 verses. I wish we had time to read those 14 verses together this morning. I commend them to you. If you look in your, hand at, in your handout, you'll, you'll see that noted. Please take time as you study through this to read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the first 14 verses. Vanity Fair is Satan's attempt to distract and hinder us from following after Christ. It is his ploy to lure us into grasping at things that in the end will avail us nothing and keep us from the great treasure 
of knowing and serving and loving God. Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. From John chapter 14, verse 6. He alone has the words of life. From John 6, verse 68. If we miss Christ, we miss it all. If you look at your handout, you'll see what we learn from Bunyan. There are five lessons here. The fair is ancient. Its origins go back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were tempted and enticed to disobey God. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. The second thing we learn is the fair is continuous. It lasts all year long, meaning your entire life long. Temptations are always around us in every age, in every generation, in all walks of life. We have an enemy to our souls And he would have us believe the same lie he spoke in the garden, that his way is more desirable than God's way. Number three, the fair is corrupt. It is tainted by sinful passions. It has given place to many foolish and profane occupations, juggling cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, and rogues, law-breaking abounds, stealing, murdering, committing adultery, lying, and that of a blood-red color. In other words, law-breaking made evident in assault, injury, and violence. And four, the fair is international. It embraces the styles and wares of every country and culture. God has measured the nations, and all is vanity. From Isaiah chapter 40, verse 17. Each nation offers a unique blend of temptations to draw pilgrims from the way. And number five, the fair is bountiful. It's full of delights and pleasures. I know you know what I'm talking about. The fair is full of delights and pleasures. As pilgrims, we need the attitude that Paul shared in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. By what things were gained to me... These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Wow, that says it all. That says it all. And you know about Paul, you know about his pedigree, right? His pedigree, his qualifications, who he was, where he came from. He counted all of those things as rubbish in light of knowing Christ. We'll see that such an attitude, as Paul describes in Philippians chapter 3, will set us Christians apart from the world and its pursuits. Let's press on to section 74 and talk about how the pilgrims were out of place in Vanity Fair and why they were. The way to the celestial city lies just through this town where this lusty fair is kept. The prince of princes, or Christ himself, 
was there. He went through this town to his own country. Belzebub tempted Christ to purchase vanities, and he would make him Lord of the fair. But Christ had no interest and passed through. The fair is ancient and long-suffering, a great temptation. So Christian and faithful had to go through the fair, as do you and I. Well, so did they. But behold, even as they entered into the fair, all the people in the fair were watching and were aware of them. The whole town itself was in a hubbub. Love that word. About them because there are three reasons that they were noticed and that the town was in a hubbub. First, they were dressed quite differently from all the others at the fair. They were laughed at called fools, lunatics, and strange men. Secondly, just as people were wondering about their clothing, so people were curious about their speech, since few could understand what they said. Christian and faithful spoke as followers of the Lord God Almighty, while those at the fair spoke the language of the world. What language do you speak? What language do I speak? Do we speak with the language of Christ, of Canaan, or do we speak the language of the world? The pilgrims seemed barbaric to the other fairgoers. And thirdly, what especially disturbed the merchants was the fact that the pilgrims placed little value on the merchandise being sold. One merchant mockingly asked them, what do you want to buy? And the pilgrims humbly replied, we want the truth. This enraged the fairgoers. Some mocked, others taunted and slandered, and others called for them to be beaten. The pilgrims were interrogated about where they had come from, where they were going, and why they were dressed so unusually. They responded that they were pilgrims and strangers in the world, and that they were going to their own country, which was the heavenly Jerusalem. The investigators were convinced that they were bedlams, love that, they were bedlams and mad, intent on disrupting the fair, so they beat them, covered them with dirt, or the word is besmirched, covered in dirt, and then put in a cage to be mocked. We'll talk about this more in a few minutes. We can learn some valuable lessons in the town of vanity. Number one, it's God's will that we walk through this world, though it is fallen and marred with sin. God does not take us out of the world once he saves us. He keeps us in the world. We are to be blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Woo! Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 if we are to share the hope we have in Christ with people in this world, we must live and walk in their midst. I hope that's really clear because I personally have begged, Lord, take this away. Take these attractions of Vanity Fair away. Take them out of my life. And he says, no, my son, press on to my glory. Number two, Jesus himself came to our broken world. As I said previously, the prince of princes, Jesus himself, 
was here, he went through the town to his own country. We see this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Jesus came and dwelt among us that we might behold his glory from John chapter 1, verse 14. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. In this world, we will indeed face trials and temptations, but we have a savior who has, defe- who has defeated sin and death. His word gives us comfort. We see this in John chapter 16, verse 33. And the third takeaway, the third lesson is if we follow Christ and seek his kingdom, our lives will be in sharp contrast to the world around us. Think about that. If we follow Christ and seek his kingdom, our lives will be in sharp contrast to the world around us. How is your life as a follower of Christ? How is my life as a follower of Christ in sharp contrast to the world around us? Christian and faithful stand out at the fair. They don't fit in. They are not carried away and enthralled by the allurements of the fair that entice the citizens of the town. So again, John Bunyan notes these three additional points for you and I. The pilgrims look and act differently from Colossians 3, 5 through 7. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. And I also commend to you 1 Peter. Write this down, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 11. Wow. Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Check that out, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Peter says, I beg you. There's also additional scriptures in your handout that I commend to you. Number two, they speak differently. They are not enticed by the latest gossip or allured with profane humor. They speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our, of our wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 6 through 8. They speak of spiritual things. That's the pilgrims, that's you and I. We must speak of spiritual things. And those at the fair cannot understand them. The third application for you and I here is the pilgrims are not interested in what the world has to offer. They are not tempted by temporary and fleeting pleasures. They refuse to look at wares displayed for sale. We see in Psalm 119 verse 37, this is so beautiful, so clear. Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Amen. This truly enrages the town of Vanity Fair and its merchants. Christian and faithful are mocked and mistreated. When apprehended and interrogated, they say that they are pilgrims and strangers in the world and are seeking a heavenly country. We see this in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, 13 through 16. Just circle that Scripture in your notes as well. Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. See my Yeti, it's got a J, that's for Jesus, not Jonathan or Julie. 
Right, 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 right. <laughs> Bunyan's narrative of Christian and faithful at Vanity Fair seems somewhat out of step with modern methods of evangelism. Hmm. Why not set up a booth at a fair and beat the town at its own game? The church, especially in Western culture, is often more concerned about fitting in and appearing relevant to the world that it's trying to reach rather than standing out and standing for truth. Christian and faithful are not afraid to stand out, to be in stark contrast to the world. Yet, as we shall soon see, their testimony bears lasting fruit. Let's press on to section 75 and talk about how the pilgrims were persecuted. Christian and faithful faced the ire of the town of Vanity Fair by being beaten and imprisoned. They resisted the town's temptations and suffered the ensuing persecution. Their hardship was not to be brief. They lay for some time in their bonds, facing the ridicule and antagonism of the world. They suffered long, and the longer they suffered, the worse their circumstances seemed to get. Bunyan describes in the story a variety of reactions and responses from the people at the fair. Some were amused at the pilgrims. Others were angry. Some dished out ridicule and scorn. Others seek to harm them. Still, others are sympathetic became upset when who are giving out abuse. The abusers then react more still. But regardless of the response, favorable or not, Christian and faithful act wisely. They are... Um, in the face of persecution, they return blessing for railing and kindness for injury. They are quiet and sober and do not speak out against those who seek their demise. By enduring suffering, the meekness, wisdom, and patience, the two pilgrims are examples of Christ. Isaiah prophesied of Jesus' suffering in chapter 53 when he said he was oppressed and he was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will decide uh, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And I repeat, for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grief, and they made his grave with the wicked. With the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Again, Isaiah 53. 7 through 9, pure gold, pure gold, that you and I would internalize this, worship him. As Christian and faithful endure persecution, they trust that God is in control. They remember that suffering is a promised part of their pilgrimage. Suffering is a promised part of their pilgrimage. Evangelists 
had told them plainly that they would suffer for the sake of Christ. And so they comfort one another knowing that the worst that could be done to them in this life would be to be put to death is actually the best because the one who suffers death will sooner be in the Lord's presence. As Paul confesses, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. Do we believe that? Do we believe that, brothers and sisters? Or are we more in love with the comforts of this life? Do we really believe that to die is Christ? Uh, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. God is working all things together for their good and his glory. So important as we look at the pilgrims and how they're being persecuted to remember that God is working all things together for their good and for his glory, even pain and suffering, just as God did at the cross, taking an evil act, crucifying the Son of God, and bringing about great good, the salvation of sinners. He uses the persecution and suffering of his people to accomplish good, strengthening our faith and testimony before a watching world. The testimony of Christian and faithful is confirmed and strengthened in the crucible of persecution. Woo! Love that illustration, that crucible, that being crushed and ground. Again, the testimony of Christian and faithful is confirmed and strengthened in the crucible of persecution and suffering for his sake. Bunyan contemplated his own suffering and possible death while in prison in England in the 1600s, as you know. Bunyan did indeed learn patience. His faith in God was strengthened and his trust in God's good purpose was affirmed. Let's take a look at the trial of the pilgrims in Vanity Fair. In many ways, Pilgrim's Progress is a retelling of John Bunyan's own pilgrimage as he escaped destruction to find eternal life. His journey was not easy. Throughout his ministry, he faced many hardships for the sake of the gospel, including persecution and imprisonment. Now in Vanity Fair, we read of Christian and faithfuls enduring persecution and imprisonment. They are brought before the judge. The name of the judge is Lord Hategood to face the indictment against them. As Faithful begins his defense, Bunyan's own resolve to stand up for truth before his accusers can be heard. Christian and Faithful are described in the indictment as enemies, disturbers of the peace and lawbreakers. They are accused of dividing the town swaying some to accept their views and speaking against established traditions and laws of the fair. As Faithful answers the charges in the indictment, he tries to make clear that he only desires what is right for the glory of God and for the good of the town. You see, the pilgrims, as you and I, they are not against the town or its people because their souls are of value. He that's faithful is only set against that which is opposed to him that is greater than the highest. It is better to obey God rather than men. We see in Acts chapter 5 verse 29. 
He did not come to bring trouble or disturbance to the town. He's a man of peace. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He did come speaking truth. What was that? He spoke God's word. Those in town who aligned themselves with Christian and faithful did so because they saw the truth and believed the, fil- the pilgrims to be innocent. Faithful notes that they are only turned from the worst to the better. It is always right and good to be on the side of truth. Faithful is willing to stand for truth. It may cost him his life. He recognizes that the town is under siege and is in the midst of a spiritual battle. He defies principalities and powers that would keep the town in darkness and bondage. Though scorned and beaten down by oppressors, he is not discouraged, but emboldened. Though cursed by the world, he is blessed by his Lord. Jesus taught those who are scorned and reviled for his sake. How are they to respond? With joy. For theirs, for ours, is the kingdom of heaven. Let's press on to section 77. And we'll meet envy, superstition, and pick thank. As the trial in Vanity Fair continues, the court sends out a summons for witnesses. The people of the town are encouraged to come and testify against the two pilgrims. Three witnesses answer the call. These witnesses represent three distinct motives for people to persecute the church. Please understand this. The witnesses represent three distinct motives behind the persecution of the church. Why does persecution and and oppression arise? Bunyan identifies three causes, envy, superstition, and third, pick thank, and I'll define that for you in a, in a minute. The first motive to persecute the church is envy. The pilgrims were gaining a hearing in the town, though few were convinced by their message. A growing number were curious. Those who hold influence in the town were alarmed by the attention and sympathy given to the pilgrims. They wanted Christian and, and faithful silence. Their envy gave rise to persecution. There are a number of scriptures in your handout this morning that talk about envy. The second motive is superstition. This is not the superstition in the sense that we often define it, which is an unfounded belief in or fear of the supernatural. Rather, this definition of superstition um, is ex- it's an older definition, and it means excessive exactness or rigor in religious opinion or practice, which is rooted in false religion and false worship. When Christian and faithful came to Vanity Fair preaching the true gospel of grace, they exposed the false religions embraced by the town. True salvation, as you know, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. All religions are false that attempt to substitute something for someone, for Christ, or insist that something more be added to Christ. Superstition felt threatened that he, when he heard the clear message of the pilgrims that by his own efforts, works, and ingenuity, he could by no means 
please God. He was offended that Christian and faithful would think that his religion was not. And so he added his voice. And now we come to the final motive that underlies the persecution of the church. This is pickthank, one word. Pickthank is an archaic term that denotes a whispering parasite or an officious fellow who does what he doesn't desire to do for the sake of gaining favor. A pickthank is one who bows to social pressure to be in the crowd. He is the protester who doesn't really know what he's protesting. But he joins in anyway, so as not to be left out or singled out himself. The town had turned against the two pilgrims and had brought them to stand trial. Consequently, Pickthank is now willing to pick on Christian and faithful in order to gain thanks from his fellow townspeople. In his testimony, Pickthank speaks of the friends of the prince who are the nobility of the town of Vanity. These noblemen represent our fallen human nature. These are in your handout as well, I believe. Take a look at them with me. I won't take time to read the scripture associated with each one, but the first one is Lord Old Man from Ephesians 4.22. Number two, Lord Carnal Delight from Romans 8, 7 through 8. Lord Luxurious from Revelation chapter 18. I love that scripture. That's so specific. Lord Desire of Vainglory, Galatians 2.26. Lord Lechery or Lewdness and Lust. We see this in Romans chapter 13, verse 13. Sir, Having Greedy or Covetousness from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. These noblemen have corrupted the town and its fair. Apart from God, as we've said this morning, all is vanity. The town in its sinfulness has turned against the true king and against Christian and faithful. In the next section, we'll hear a faithful's reply to the charges brought by envy, superstition, and pickthink. Let's look at faithful's defense. As soon as envy, superstition, and pickthank finish bringing their accusations against faithful, the judge is ready to pronounce his sentence. Faithful's guilt is assumed. Lord Hategood speaks of the witness. Uh, he speaks of the witnesses as honest gentlemen, while derisively addressing faithful as a runagate, heretic, and traitor. Yet faithful makes a plea to speak in his own defense. Faithful's reply to his accusers points us to the core theme of Pilgrim's Progress. Don't miss this. Follow along in your handout, which is the centrality of God's word. Again, and throughout the allegory, Bunyan takes us to the scripture, to God's word, to the Bible. It is, it is the scripture is the book that Christian is reading at the beginning of the story that warns him of the coming judgment. It pro its promises are the good and substantial steps to the slew of despond. 
It is the shining light that shows the way to the gate. It is the house of interpreter where a Christian is shown excellent things. It is the records of greatest iniquity brought out for instruction at Palace Beautiful. And it is the light of day that helps Christian make his way to the end of the valley. Now, in Vanity Fair, the word of God is faithful, strong defense. His three answers highlight the primacy of Scripture in life, worship, and conscience. Number one, we must judge our lives on the basis of God's word. We must judge our lives on the basis of God's word. Envy is offended because of the teachings of faithful and Christianity as opposed to the many customs and practices of the town. Faithful affirms that any rule or law or customs or people that are contrary to God's word are in, his, are in opposition to the Christian faith. Number two, we must judge our worship of God on the basis of his word. Got that? We must judge our worship of God on the basis of his word, not on whether we're entertained, not whether we like the beat, not on how it makes us feel, but on the basis of his word. Superstition is offended because the teachings of faithful and Christianity degrade his own religious practices and ideas of how God should be worshipped. Faithful affirms that our worship must come from divine faith that grows in the light of divine revelation. We come to God by grace through faith, which is a gift of God, from Ephesians chapter 2, verse, verse 8. His spirit enlivens and empowers us, and we come in accordance with God's truth revealed to us in his word. His spirit illumines and teaches us. And number three, we submit our conscience to the word of God. Pickthank is offended because the teachings of faithful and Christianity are an affront to fallen human nature. We see this in our age today, don't we? That Christian talk, the scripture is an affront or hate speech to our current generation. It's an affront to fallen human nature. Faithful affirms that in our fallen nature, we are at enmity against God. Let's press on to faithful being condemned. Section 79. Once faithful finished his defense, the judge called upon the jury to deliver a verdict. It doesn't take long for them to find him guilty. Finding list 12 members of the jury, including the foreman, as with the judge and the witnesses at the trial, the jury is descriptive of the corruption and deceitfulness of sin that shrouds our world in darkness. The members of the jury represent the sins that would enslave and condemn us. The sins that would enslave and condemn us. Are these listed in your handout? Give me a nod. Yeah, good. Mr. Blind Man, and you see the associated scripture. I'm really running short on time. Mr. No Good, Mr. Malice, Mr. Love Lust, Mr. Live Loose, Mr. Heady, Mr. High Mind, Mr. Amnity, Mr. Liar, Mr. Cruelty, Mr. Hate Light, and Mr. Implacable, or 
Mr. Without Mercy. This is the jury and carnal mindset that would speak against faithful and send him to his death. Though faithful stands condemned, ready to face cruel death, his testimony stands as a sure witness to the truth of the gospel. As as we will see, God is at work, even in this miscarriage of justice, to bring about his purposes. And finally, the death of faithful. God regards the lessons from the death of faithful are that God regards the death of his saints as precious. For the saints, number two, the saints of God, death is gain. We've already got scripture that speak to that. And number three, God is sovereign over life and death. Why did faithful have to die but Christian escaped? How could God permit such an agony for one while sparing the life of another. This is truly a great mystery. But we can trust that God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, is working for the good of both in a way that will bring him the greatest glory. Next week, Pastor Mike will continue sharing Christian's journey from sections 81 through 92. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father God, in Jesus' name, we come before you. What a joy it's been. What a joy it's been in a quick 45 minutes to be deep into your word. We praise you for the blessing of the truth and the power of the gospel. We ask, Father, that by your mercy and by your grace that you would do business with each of us as we entertain distractions in Vanity Fair. Keep our eyes on you this week, we pray. Keep us in your word. May we worship as a result of your nature and from your word. We thank you again for this time. And to your glory, Lord, we pray. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.